What's going on? It's Joey Thurman, and welcome to Season 3 of the Fad or Future Podcast. Yeah, I made it three seasons. What's different about this season? Well, yes, I'm still bringing you the world's top experts in fitness, nutrition, mental health, and more. But I'm also talking about my own personal struggles. I get deeper this season because we can all use a little bit of relatability. So I hope you stick with me, you enjoy this season, and thank you for being here. And as always, you get to decide, is it a fad or is it a future? Because after all, we don't want to be fatties, F-A-D-D-Y. Hashtag don't be a fatty. Vegan, paleo, carnivore, GAPS diet. What else is there? Cookie diet? There's a lot of different things. Nutrition sometimes is like saying what religion you are or what party you belong to. Democrat, Republican, Independent. Are you far right? Are you far left? Are you progressive? Right? Are you afraid to sometimes just say what you like eating or how you should eat because it's really confusing. Marie Spano today is on the podcast. Now, she's a registered dietitian, nutrition consultant. She works with the Atlanta Braves, the NHL all sorts of different professional athletes and everyday people. She breaks down things and makes it very simplistic. Should we have carbs? Should we have them at night? What about dairy? Isn't it bad for you? What about eating greens and vegetables, oxalates and anti-nutrients and blah, 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 right? She breaks it down in a digestible manner. Yes, the pun is intended there. Now, Marie is the final episode of the podcast. No, not of the entire Fat or Future podcast, but of season three. I love doing this podcast, but I need to take some time to get some other things done, like finishing writing my second book, which will come out in December of 2022. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast when season four comes out. Subscribe now, share it. Check it out at Fatter Future Podcast and Instagram. There's clips on Joey Thurman YouTube. Of course, follow me on all socials at Joey Thurman Fit. Don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y. Be a part of the future. Check out Marie Spano. Amazing podcast. I'm putting these clips on YouTube as well. Thanks for Marie coming on and enjoy. And here is my conversation with Marie Spano. What you eat doesn't matter, right, Marie? Right in front of me, Marie Spano. You've got a bunch of different things that you do. You you work with the Braves, so good luck to them in the playoffs. Uh, hopefully, I didn't jinx anything there. But um, you, you're a dietitian, strength coach. You do you do lots of things. And first of all, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Can't wait to talk to you. Um, there's so many topics we can we can discuss today. Yeah, and, and of course, obviously, what you eat does matter. But, um, but yeah. there, there's a there's a little intro there. Okay, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a a quick fire. So I want you to answer fad or future. Okay. Okay, you ready? Keto. Keto has some future to it. I hate okay. to groups. Yeah. All right, plant based. Future. Future. Um, carnivore. Ooh, that's a tough one. That might be on the line. Okay. It's fad for now. For now, okay. Paleo. Fad. Cookie diet. Fad. <laughs> if it fits your macros. A uh, future. Spandex. Unfortunately, the future. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Okay, so when you say something's kind of on a line, right? What what are you looking for to determine if if something is going to be you know fad or future, especially 
with diets are, are concerned. And I know, I know you work with athletes, so I do want to talk about what the difference is between your average individual and an athlete. But uh, what's, what's your standard protocol for determining if something is going to help people? I'm looking to see if it has sustainability. Um, and the thing about keto is, you know, and they're, keto is very divided. Who Who's very against keto, who's very with keto. Keto will always be here because we know it helps those with epileptic seizures who have, you know, they're resistant to medication. It helps decrease the incidence and the severity of seizures. It's always going to be here. So there's a need for that. But then for some people, they just find it easier to do a keto diet and to lose weight because it cuts out food groups. It's conceptually easy. So to me, that's, it's sustainable within some people, Hmm. Um, at least sustainable for a while. And then they can transition. What makes something a fad is you, we are hearing less and less about it. We're hearing less about the paleo diet because other diets have taken over. Um, plant-based it's been around it's funny that's so big right now because it's been around for decades and yet all of a sudden everyone's like oh plant-based this new plant-based i'm like no no it's been around for a long time it just never caught steam Mm -hmm. but i think that's here to stay yeah and and when people say plant-based because you can be plant-based but not vegan so what would your definition be of plant-based be my definition is the majority of your diet comes from plant foods, and that could be not just fruits, vegetables, but grains, nuts, seeds. Um, and then you also consume some animal foods. So you might consume lower amounts of dairy, chicken, um, you know, even fish. Mm-hmm. So you can have some of those foods, but I'm glad you brought that up because there is no one universal definition of plant-based. Yeah, I mean, I, that's why a lot of people are like, oh, so, you know, uh, and I've done all sorts of different diets, wanted to try it myself pre pre-doing this podcast and then also for the podcast as well. And I've felt great on a multitude of diets. I've, I've felt very good on uh, high carbohydrate, vegan, low fat. I've felt good on plant-based. It was like no gluten, no soy. I felt good on vegan. I've felt okay on carnivore. I felt pretty good on keto. I do love bacon. So, hey, a diet where I can have bacon, why the hell not? There's all sorts of uh, different things. So do you feel like these diets that often say like, this is your fix. This is your holy grail. Is, is there one specific diet that could just outshines everything else? There is no one specific diet for everybody. Um, so it's so individual. It's based on the fact that you could do all those different diets. I'm amazed mm-hmm. because there are some I look at and I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like it's, I just refuse. Right. Yeah. Um, but everybody's got different, you know, you're a little bit as a, a fitness professional, you're, you have more, little, maybe more motivation than others, but everybody has different taste buds. Everyone has different, you know, dietary likes, dislikes, um, you know, financial situations. There are so many factors that come into food and eating mm-hmm. that um, it's, it's hard for people to sustain like one, one approach for all. And the other thing I'll say, it's very interesting. I was reading this in a paper the other day that, you know, it's, it's interesting how people can't stay on a lot of these diets, but then if you look at like when we think about diet for health reasons or even um, especially for weight loss, right? We're always talking about weight loss failure. People don't stay on these diets, but then if you get somebody who ethically believes we shouldn't eat animals, they can stick to a vegan diet. Mm. If you believe that somebody you know, like, let's say for religious reasons, you have kosher or you have Ramadan, people stick to that stuff. And they're very religious about it, excuse the the term, but why can't we stick to weight loss diets? It's very interesting. 
Yeah. And, and what if we change our mindset, right? You, you could say, okay, whether you want to go Mediterranean, vegan, carnivore, you can you go down the list, right? What, what if we, we change like, okay, I, you know, this is a, let's say against my diet religion, you know, if you will, yeah. because when, it, when I, when I'm looking at, you know, individuals and I'm a fitness nutrition specialist, so technically I can tell them what to eat and which is a big difference between most personal trainers can't right? and depending on your state, but I have nowhere near the education that you have. So when I was look, when I would look at people, I'd kind of same thing you said, I would look at, you know, what they're eating, what they like, I'm like, oh, let's, let's put them on this and try to get them in that specific mindset. But if somebody won't eat animals, because they're, you know, um, ethically against that, I'm not going to tell them, you need to make sure you have eggs because they're more bioavailable. Like that's, that's no need to have that argument, right? You, you can't have that argument with mm -hmm. them. So is there a way that people can change their mindset to stick on a specific eating plan? I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's a key point and that's where, you know, we as professionals need to look like what are other reasons that what are longer lasting reasons besides, Hey, I'm going to a reunion or a wedding. I want to lose 10 pounds what what gets at their core beliefs that will help them stick to that particular diet program mm -hmm. that's really what kind of brings about long-term success that's one of the key factors okay now when when people are you know when they come to see you and especially like i said athletes are a whole nother animal especially when they're they're either trying to get to the level of the people that you work with or they're already at that level and and the small little things matters. Like when people talk about supplements and everything, what supplement should I take? Like, well, once you cover everything, you know, maybe that's the 1%, right? Which you might have a different, you know, perspective on it, but like get the sleep, get the nutrition, get, get the working out, all that sort of stuff. But how do you approach somebody who's coming in and say, you know, whether it's a baseball player or hockey player and say, you know, I, I need to lose weight or add weight or what's the, the approach to getting them to eat you know, for performance and sometimes for aesthetics. I, I break it down to their goals. Why do they have those goals? And why do they like, for instance, if it's weight loss, I want to lose 10 pounds. Well, why? Because we have to know the reasoning behind it. So you'll stick to why, what I'm giving you. So I can constantly remind you, Hey, you want to lose this 10 pounds because you know, you know, you'll pay your position better. Um, you know, whatever, as you mentioned, whatever sport it is, especially something like hockey or football or something like that soccer you've got to lose this 10 pounds because you'll run faster you'll be more agile etc and so i constantly look back at the goals and then go through everything that you could possibly imagine health history what they eat now environment etc to get them to a plan that's sustainable for them mm -hmm. and that being one of the keys i see so many people doing something like let's say you know, they hate meat and they're like, okay, let me try the carnivore diet. What are you doing? You know, I mean, it doesn't make sense. Or you love red meat. Like I've had people go, gosh, should I go plant-based? I don't want to give up red meat that I eat four times a week. I'm like, okay, then don't, this is not for you. Yeah. You know, if you're going to sit there and take out your favorite food, that just makes no sense. It's not sustainable in the long term. Okay. Now, is there any specific, uh testing or anything you do with them because there's all these things now we get really into the weeds with things like you could poop in a box and check that and hair samples and and blood and cortisol and all that sort of stuff i mean do you do any of that i do i do a lot of blood testing and then i also do sweat patch testing to see electrolyte losses and fluid losses daily like hydration how hydrated they are at the start of the day i pick and choose tests depending on the person i try not to over test even though i love data 
um, to see what, what they need. Because the other thing I've found is when people have something in front of them and they can look at it like a piece of paper, it's incredible how motivating that is. Yeah. Where I've had 22 year olds who can look at something and go, oh my gosh, you know, my blood lipids are high. My, you know, this is off. My A1C is off. Hey Marie, I've got a family history of type two diabetes and heart disease. And it's funny that will motivate them sometimes more than how well they play on a basketball court. Mm. And you're like, okay, that's interesting. But having those numbers, it's it's eye opening for a lot of people. Yeah, and that makes a, a lot of sense for athletes as well, right? Because they're all data driven. And mm -hmm. anybody's not aware of a strength coach, like they are very down to the T. You know, the the split second, they're looking at different loading patterns and schemes. And it's one thing like losing weight and adding muscle tissue, which you know people may yell at me for this, but much easier to train somebody that way than a strength coach is looking at the specific numbers or make sure like, mm -hmm. oh, you've got, you've got a game in two days, got to make sure we're not completely destroy your legs or it's, it's really rigid. So that makes sense for these athletes that are probably used to hitting these specific numbers. Uh, but what about your average individual? You know, where do you, where should they start? I mean, let's just, you know, put an overarching blanket on this, like somebody that wants to lose weight, which most people probably want to lose some sort of weight or body fat. Mm -hmm. where, where do they start? You know, I think the number, whatever your diet, religion, or, you know, is, I think the number one thing is start eating foods, more whole foods closer to their natural state. So less processed foods, that step alone will go so far. Um, so that means instead of chicken nuggets, you eat chicken breast. Instead of, you know, French fries, you eat potatoes. Instead of fake cheese, you eat real American cheese. You know, it's, it's an easier, it should be conceptually easier to go, Hey, let me eat foods closer to the natural state, the way they grew out of the ground, walked on the ground, swam in the ocean. Yeah. And, and what, what is that doing for them? Is, is there anything that's, that's happening either metabolically or, you know, gut lining, gut health that these processed foods are, are doing to individuals? Well, there is, there's quite a bit of research showing that ultra processed foods are people who eat more ultra processed foods tend to weigh more. They tend to have more body fat. So that's the first thing. The other thing is there's some studies showing that, and these have been done in like almonds, peanuts, peanut butter, um, bread, cheese, et cetera. We actually extract fewer calories from whole foods because we can't break down the whole cell wall. Let's say you have peanuts or almonds. You can't break down when you're chewing the whole cell wall and digesting. So you don't extract all the calories versus if you have peanut butter, it's already processed. And peanut mm -hmm. butter is good food but you're going to extract all the calories. The other thing is in America, at least more of our ultra processed foods generally aren't as nutrient dense. They don't have the vitamins, the minerals, the fiber, um, the fatty acids that we need to support good health. Okay. So, I mean, it, that, that makes a, a ton of sense with people in, in what they're eating. So basically what you're saying is if you're having a whole food, because obviously when you take a, a potato and you slice that up, you put it in the French fry, it's also changing the macronutrient ratio too, which a lot of people don't realize like, oh, it's got more calories. Well, you just loaded a bunch of fat to it a, mm -hmm. as well. So um, I think that's a common misconception in, you know, so if we're, you know, the, the, if it fits your macros type thing, right? If a Snickers bar, it's like 300 calories versus 300 calories of blueberries, which let's say, high carb, high carb, if we're going to say, if we're just going to say it's one food group, right? Uh, or one macronutrient group, uh, your body's going to process that completely different, correct? Yes. And not only that, but you know, you look at something again, you got the ultra processed food and then you got the blueberries, you have all these plant compounds, a lot we know about, we know these plant compounds support good health, 
but there's a ton of plant compounds. We don't, scientists haven't even figured out exactly what they do in the body. Mm -hmm. And there's probably a synergistic effect. You take blueberries, all these, you know, anthocyanins, et cetera, the blueberries, you know, there's a synergistic effect in that whole food, which research is now just starting to uncover. Okay. Now, uh, what about uh, greens and oxalates and anti-nutrients and all this sort of stuff? And now the people, I think people are afraid to eat kale and spinach or, you know, ha have a almond that's not soaked overnight in water. I mean, it's soaking your nuts, which is, I had to say, it's just so funny. <laughs> um, by the way, soaked nuts, I've done that. Um, yes, people get your minds out of the gutter, but soak the almonds overnight and it just they, it softens them up a little bit. I do, I do like the taste better. But is this necessary for most people? I don't think it's necessary for most people. And the reason being is because when, when we look at like, um, you know, vitamin and mineral needs per age group, per, you know, male, female, and per age group, those take into account those anti-nutrients. Yes, they do have an effect. They can decrease our uptake of amino acids, vitamins, and minerals. But, you know, worry about that far down the line, but first make sure that, you know, you're consuming the majority of your diet as whole foods. I think, you know, you brought up minutia. That's where people really get into the minutia. Yeah. And now with so much information out, it, it's, it's really, really hard, um, you know, for people to break through that. And that's kind of where, you know, I'll go with people like, well, I was doing this or I was doing keto or I was doing whatever. And I heard I shouldn't have a kale smoothie. And I said, I, I, you know, I've never seen someone that ate a lot of kale or spinach that was overweight and unhealthy. I just have, haven't seen it. And you say like some limits the uptake site, right? So I think people hear that and they think, oh, hundred percent, like I'm not going to get any nutrients, but a lot of these things, I think there, there's something on like, um, caffeine and calcium might limit like, like 3% or I don't know the exact number. You're, you're still absorbing the vast majority of these nutrients, correct? Yes. You're still absorbing it. I mean, there are some obviously nutrient nutrient interactions and stuff. So for somebody that's, let's say very iron deficient and they, you know, they're on an iron supplement to get, then yeah, maybe we'll worry about that one aspect of, Hey, try to consume it on an empty stomach. If you can't try to consume it with vitamin C, a vitamin C rich food, or better yet with a hamburger, because you'll, you'll actually increase your, your absorption of that. Um, what we call non heme iron in the supplement. So if you have a nutrient deficiency, yeah, or you have some sort of issue going on, we can worry about it. But for the average person, I think it's minutia. Okay. And for, for the average person that are, are popping these standard things, like you hear people say like oh, multivitamin, fish oil, vitamin D, maybe they throw in like a C or a B. Mm -hmm. uh, is that necessary? And if so, which ones should most people, I know like you can't say like everybody should be having this, right? But um, is there something that people should be taking every day for a supplement? You know, I get this question a lot. Um, and I, I say, if you don't eat fish, you don't eat fatty fish, walnuts, chia seeds, then take an omega-3 supplement. That's important. Um, if you do not eat a variety, varied diet, a wide variety of foods, and you don't eat a ton, like you're dieting, take a multivitamin because there's no way you're getting all of your vitamin, you're meeting all your vitamin and mineral needs. And then the majority of people do need a vitamin D supplement. And I'd say start it probably 2000 international units I use. Mm -hmm. A lot of people need more than that. They need double that. Okay. And, and is that just a, like an, an absorption problem that they're not being able to take that in lack of sunlight? What's really causing that? Um, I think first off, it's in very few foods, you know, um, it's fortified in milk. It's in some yogurts, not all. 
you can get some from fatty fish. You can get some from mushrooms that I never see in the store. They're actually irradiated with UV light during the growing process. Again, I never see them, but I don't care for mushrooms. Um, yeah, I'll do a mushroom powder or pill, but I can't like, I'm not a mushroom guy. Yeah, they're, they're okay, but it's not like I'm, you know, going to the store looking for mushrooms. Regularly. <laughs> and then um, also the fact that you, people are, I guess we're not absorbing as much. So, uh, you know, it's just people put on sunscreen, they put, have clothes. And if you're north of actually Atlanta, there's actually research on this latitude wise, there's no way you're making enough from exposure to the sunlight mm -hmm. during the winter. That, that makes a lot of sense. Hence why everybody's angry and assholes in the winter around Chicago. I said it, you didn't. Yeah, I've experienced that up north in other cities. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, when, when people are dieting and they're you know in a calorie deficit for an extended period of time and yo-yoing up and down, is there any research on metabolic damage and, and anything that's happening? Because you, you see a lot of this being thrown around like, hey, you were on you know, a thousand calorie deficit for, for years and you screwed up your metabolism. Is, is there any validity behind that? So there is some met, what we call metabolic adaptation with weight loss. So let's mm -hmm. say somebody's 400 pounds and they lose a hundred pounds. It takes, as I always say, it takes fewer calories to carry around that 300 pound body mm -hmm. compared to the 400 pound body. So there is absolutely metabolic adaptation with weight loss. And that's where with that yo-yo dieting that could come into play and this adaptation, it can't be explained by lean body mass loss only. Like we know that muscle burns more calories than fat, but that's not the only ex explanation yeah. according to the literature. So there is some of that that goes on with weight loss. Weight loss is hard. And then the other thing that happens is that our hormones change. So if you're on a lower calorie diet, you're actually going to be more hungry. Okay. And, and that, that's a difference between the uh, ghrelin and leptin response to, and yeah. is this just something with, um, you know, estrogen is testosterone levels. Is that all kind of going into play? Yeah. Leptin and ghrelin, it's basically are, you become more hungry. So it, it's harder to lose weight. Um, and that's why you see in so many research studies, there's weight regain. But if we look at that, even if we look at like the biggest loser study, which was published years ago, they're like, oh, the biggest loser contestants, a lot of them gained, regained weight. They did, but they were still lower than their baseline where they started. Mm -hmm. So they, their health actually was still better because they still maintained some of that weight loss. Okay. And, and that's fair, right? You go from three or 400 pounds and you get back, you'll go back up to 250. I mean, 50 pounds, it's not all going to be, you know, fat tissue, of course, right? Which people think they, they, they lose a pound on the scale. They lost a bunch of fat. Well, it was a day. Didn't yeah. happen. Um, <laughs> we, we don't need to get into that, but you know, when somebody is, you know, yo-yoing and doing that sort of stuff, is there a way to kind of like reverse diet back up or how would you get back to like a maintenance level? Or would you do some sort of, you know, higher carb, higher calorie day, or what would you do? What I try to do with people and I, I've seen one who's actually a healthcare practitioner locally who, you know, testing her metabolic rate. I'm like, it's fairly low for your age, your resting metabolic rate. Um, you need to get out. First of all, you need to lift weights. She doesn't lift weights at all. That's, I would say, number one, you need to lift weights and then getting her to a calorie level, which is, has enough total nutrients to meet her nutrient needs. You diet down to 12, 1300, 1400 calories. You're not going to, it's going to be hard to get enough fiber, vitamins, minerals, plant compounds, etc. So getting her up to that 
and then seeing over time how how she'll do basically and the tough part here with working with clients and again i it's very rare i work with anyone from the general population but it we know that diet records are notoriously inaccurate so and people think they exercise more than they do thank god we have trackers now but it makes yeah. it difficult because someone goes oh my gosh i'm eating 1400 calories marie and i'm you know doing all this exercise well no you're probably not because it's not adding up. We tested your nursing metabolic rate. This doesn't add up. Yeah. Yeah. And especially those trackers and things and people like they, they, when I was training in person, like how many calories do you think we burned during this session? Like, well, I give 45 minute sessions. Yeah. I, I beat your ass in accordance with what your body can handle, which is a whole nother episode podcast yeah. I could go to, but like uh, maybe a few hundred, there's going to be a slight metabolic spike for depending on what research you look at, you know, like, like, well, what about all this? And then, they go in, and they go and chug like a, a thousand calorie protein shake or, or something like that because they feel like they're gonna they're gonna lose their gains and I'm like okay no yes not you, not happening you, or they deserve the food I never forget my mom told me one time she was she did some exercise program when we were kids and she goes oh yeah we went to go eat ice cream afterward because we deserved it Marie <laughs> I just started laughing I mean she told me this later I was probably you know a teenager I'm like that's hilarious but people do it. The other thing that's interesting about some of the literature, not all that in a lot of it in overweight or obese people is they tend to decrease their activities of daily living when they increase exercise and lose mm -hmm. weight. So yeah, they're training with Joey. They're, they're, you know, burning a few hundred calories in that session. Um, but then the rest of the day, they're less active than they were before. They're not getting that. Those, you know, forget 10,000 steps. They might not even be getting 4,000 steps a day. They're just, people are become more sedentary. Yeah. And, and that makes sense. I just actually just recently uh, read a paper on this. I can't remember. It seems like we have a ceiling, right? Based off of the amount of calories, a non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So anybody like walking, tapping, fidgeting, anything, right? So when you, if you, when you see a, and you've worked with professional athletes, but when you see an athlete that's high, high level athlete, often when they're walking around throughout the day where they're moving around, they're slow. Slow. Yeah, because why? Because they were on the field for three to six hours or doing all sorts of things. So their body is saying, dude, slow the hell down because we know you're going to expend more energy. So for what I say, and I would like you to anytime, correct me if I'm wrong. I'd appreciate that. Like, hey, Joe, you're, you're, you're an idiot. So um, we don't stop breathing when we're lifting weights. So I think people are always like, oh my God, I, I, I need to do cardio. I need to do all this sort of stuff. Well, if you're going to prioritize anything, I really feel like you should prioritize lifting weights and lifting weights could be your own body weight as well. Resisting training could be variable resistance with bands or chains or push a damn car. I don't care. Well, safely, if you can push a car, uh, right? So do that. You're going to get some cardiovascular benefits out of it and then just walk around and move more. I know the treadmill makers and things don't want me to say that, but I, I feel like people are just really overthinking uh, as far as that's concerned. hundred percent. Yep. Okay, so is there data on how much we are slowing down as far as our calorie burn when we are exercising more? There is, there's some data in overweight or obese people. And I don't remember it off the top of my head, yeah. but um, there is data to show there is some significant slowing. That is not the primary from the last paper I read. It's probably not the primary factor that's, you know, counteracting, yeah. um, you know, the weight loss or making it easier to regain weight. But instead, it's, again, the satiety hormones that, you know, you become more hungry. 
and then the metabolic, the changes in metabolism. Okay. Now, why do people need to add muscle? You say uh, muscle and, and you did a, a post on this. Anybody might check out Marie's uh, Instagram's brilliant, by the way. Um, so you, you did a post on this about how a muscle is talking to fat. Can you explain that? Yep. So mu muscle talks to fat tissue, basically when you gain more muscle to basically lose more body fat. And this was from a presentation by Mike Ormsby um, from Florida State at the NSCA meeting. Great presentation about, hey, weight, loss, weight training can be used as fat loss training. I love that because as you and I both know, you know, we see so many people, they, they're like, oh, I got to do 20 more minutes of cardio. I got to do, and I'm not against cardio. I love mm -hmm. cardio, but you do, you know, if you can, if you're not injured, get in there and basically lift weights because you're lifting the muscles, talking to fat tissue to basically mobilize the fat, you know, and then use it, burn it for energy. Wow. So, I mean, people always, you know, back in the day, they thought that you adding a pound of muscle was like, it was like 40 to 120 calories. I think that was back when Dr. Oz's book came out and he became, you know, real famous and stuff like that doesn't say that doesn't make sense to me uh but it's more is it around six calories per pound of lean muscle tissue yeah it's six and then for fat i think it's about two calories per day that we burn per pound of fat so you know and yes that's a significant difference right statistically speaking but you gain five pounds of muscle what is that like 20 calories extra a day it's not that's two sticks of gum about so <laughs> You know, people go, oh, it's a lot. It adds up over time. I'm like, it does. But nutrition's not this exact science where it's like, oh, I am eating exactly 1,800 calories a day. No, you're probably eating somewhere between, I don't know, maybe 1,650 and 1,900 or maybe more. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, how much, how much of those calories, how many of those calories do you absorb based on the foods you're eating? Yeah. And, and besides the, let's say the, the, you know, the six extra calories and, and the muscle talking to fat, how else does adding lean muscle tissue, uh, affect, well, the energy levels, sleep, all, all, all sorts of things. You know, the biggest thing I always say is when you have more muscle, you can go for longer. You're more likely to be more active because instead of, even if you're doing something like gardening, which we know is actually considered exercise, you can actually go out there and use a shovel, use a tiller, you can do some of that hard exercise so you're burning more calories um, if you have more muscle tissue. So people can move more and then your activities of daily living are a little bit more strenuous, right? And then the big thing as we get older is you're gonna be independent for as long as possible if you have that muscle to support balance, to support bone health, et cetera. Okay. And, and as far as muscle, that also helps with insulin sensitivity. And I do want to get, and now you know probably where I'm going with this. Yeah. Um, people are, you know, this is not my first time hosting things, Marie. Uh, so when, right, <laughs> look at that. If, if you guys are listening, she's, she's smiling right now. So when we're worried about, you know, insulin sensitivity, insulin resistance, and then people are like, well, then I've got these continuous glucose monitors and I need to take apple cider vinegar or this gummy or do whatever. Uh, your face right now is great. Um, do we need to be worried about an insulin spike in food and wearing a continuous glucose monitor? And, you know, I know that I talked to you a week ago or so, I talked about that carbohydrate insulin model. Uh, so let's unwrap that if we can. Sure. So, you know, that, that carbohydrate insulin model will say that in there are a number of people who are behind this scientists, that if you spike your insulin, you spike your blood sugar, you have, you know, 
let's say high carbohydrate foods, you spike your blood sugar, pancreas releases insulin, insulin blocks the breakdown of fat tissue. So you're going to gain weight, right? But what that's a one period of time. It's not looking at the total period of time over the course of the day. Or as I always tell people when I was in college and I was, was very lean, almost too lean because I was a runner my last three years, um, I ran cross country and I probably had four bagels a day because they're cheap, they're free, right? You know, from the cafeteria. And I was incredibly lean. You can eat a high carbohydrate diet, but it's total calories that matter um, for weight loss. And so that that model completely, completely disregards calories and says, hey, it's hormones only. But it's been disproved or debunked many times over. Okay. So, I mean, but it's still you know, a driving factor, right? Because a lot of the argument in that paper is like you're going to get more hungry and whatever. But as you look at it, that's still you get hungry, you're going to eat more calories overall. Yes. So, you know, the one thing I will say is that for, um, and there's research to back this, for people who have higher, and we're talking about people without insulin resistance, right? Mm -hmm. Their hemoglobin A1C is normal, et cetera. For people who have some insulin resistance, or they are a type two diabetic, it is easier. They will lose a bit more weight. Now, some of that's going to be water weight initially from going on a lower carb diet. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I, you know, am an advocate for that pro approach because research also shows that when you lose the weight, you lose initially is a huge motivating factor for sticking with a program. So. You know, I might use that initially and then transition somebody, let's say somebody's overweight or obese, start with that if they can do it and then transition them to, to more carbohydrates, if that's more sustainable. Okay. Because they're going to have more adherence because they see the scale going down a little bit. Right. And then they're yeah. motivated and they're going to have that you know, dopamine little drip in response. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards something here. Yeah. Because we all know everybody's going to hit some weight loss plateau, right? Mm -hmm. They'll hit that at some point. Weight loss will slow over time. But at least if they get that initial weight loss and if they go into their doctor, it's like, oh, you know, your numbers are better. Your blood glucose is better. Your hemoglobin A1C is better and you're dropping weight. So your blood lipids are better. That 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 can motivate somebody to continue. OK, so what about people? Obviously, like, like we talked about this, you know, the candy bar versus you know, berries or whatever. But what about people that are doing these things to limit the insulin spike of whatever food, whether it's apple cider vinegar or grapefruit juice, whatever, something like that, that can limit the spike. Is there any, any validity behind that? I mean, if you're going to have a banana, it's going to go up a little bit, but you know, is it, is it going to matter if you're going to have that candy bar? I think it's, I think it's completely silly that people are doing these things to limit the insulin spike. Um, especially, you know, they're walking around blood glucose monitors and I, I, I would think some diabetics are like, seriously, I've done this every day for years. You know, right. um, you try doing it for years. It's, it's exhausting for somebody who's diabetic. Uh, I just think it's silly. I don't think there's any purpose to it. Okay. What about, is, is there any validity behind things that, you know, are supposed to help with digestion like a, a ginger or apple cider vinegar or anything like that? It, is, is there any place for that or is it just kind of like uh, snake oil? Ginger, definitely. As far as what's interesting about ginger, it's multifactorial. Ginger mm -hmm. can decrease pain. Um, you'd have to probably consume it consistently for a couple of days, but it can help decrease muscle pain, but it can ease stomach, you know, Hey, I've got an upset stomach, nausea, et cetera. It can help ease that apple cider vinegar. Not that I've seen, there's not a whole lot of ability. doesn't mean that, um, it isn't beneficial for some people.
Okay, cool. But uh, what about those gummies or something that probably have sugar in it too? Is it just kind of counteracting each other? Uh, which which gummies are those? <laughs> well, there's so there's well I'll, I'll say the name. There's there's goalie. There's other things that like it's basically a gummy bear that has apple cider vinegar incorporated in it. Oh, that's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> really? Because you know it has sugar in it. That's because people are eating it. So you're you're consuming sugar, which is going to spike your insulin, and then you're uh-huh. that's just stupid. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about uh, let's talk about sugar. Uh, does um, does the type of sugar matter that you're having? Um, overall, in the long scheme of things, no. Like if you're looking at glucose, fructose, etc., no. Um, for certain situations, for athletes, yes, it will matter because we want faster sugars right after exercise to restore glycogen or carbohydrate muscle quicker, mm-hmm. more rapidly. So. In some certain situations, yes, but okay. overall, it's minutia. Okay, um, and feeding off of that, I guess feeding pun intended. So, um, Sam, look at that. We're keeping it light here. Uh, nutrient timing, athletes versus your average individual. Like you say, you you want to have something that's going to um, restore glycogen right away for an athlete. Does your average person uh, need to do this? No. The average person does not need to worry too much about nutrient timing. What they do need to be concerned about is ha- for the majority of people having regular high protein meals through the day. Mm-hmm. So if you eat four meals a day, try to divide up your, let's say you have 120 grams of protein. That's your need for the day. Try to have roughly 30 grams of protein per meal because we know this pattern is not only better for muscle. It helps us build and retain muscle better but it also helps improve satiety or that feeling of fullness in, in between meals. Okay, so whatever your protein is, you're splitting that equally throughout whatever meals, whether it's, well, I guess one meal wouldn't be spread evenly. Well, I guess it would, if that's all one. Uh, you know, One to six meals and, and meal frequency, is that gonna matter either? How many meals you're having? Doesn't matter for weight loss, but it, well, it doesn't matter technically for weight loss, but if you have a few more meals, like let's say three meals and two snacks, mm-hmm. you might feel a little bit full, more full for longer. So for some people, you know, they won't get as hungry. So that okay. could be beneficial. But for the average person, meal timing doesn't make a huge difference. Okay. Fasting. How do you feel about that? Ooh, I personally don't care to fast, but... Um, you know, I think there are some benefits for fasting for decreasing like systemic inflammation. For some people, it's, you know, this time, this rough time window. And I've done this with athletes sometimes, cut off at 8, 8, 8 p.m. And that's huge for them. Like stop eating. Like I've done this with football players just because they tend to eat less healthy foods after 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's the reason it works for some people for weight loss is because they eat fewer calories. So you can do that. You can count calories. doesn't really matter what works for you. But for some people, it's just easier to say, hey, I'm eating between 12 and 5 or 12 and 6. Okay. Uh, there are some benefits. I don't care to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll play around with it. Like I said, I, I experiment on myself. Uh, fasted workouts, yes or no, doesn't matter. And um, uh, follow up to that question. A lot of people think this. So I want you to you say yay, yay or nay. But um, if you're fasted before a workout, is it going to matter as far as the amount of fat um, and or calories that you're burning? Great question. So 
you will burn more of your calories from fat because you don't have any carbohydrate on board. You haven't eaten since the night before, let's say. So you burn a greater percentage of calories as fat, but you won't burn more total calories. And again, it's even though the, the carbohydrate model in carbohydrate insulin hypothesis, those people, you know, don't want to believe calories matter. Calories matter when it comes to weight loss. So I always say for the majority of people have the best possible workout. You want to get the greatest bang from your workout as possible. So if that means you eat, you know, a banana ahead of time or something ahead of time, go ahead and do that. If you feel phenomenal doing faster workout, so be it. But the majority of like for athletes, I'd like them to have something before they work out. Okay. And afterwards, it doesn't matter in that situation. I know athletes like they're going to want to have something afterwards. Probably most of the time there might be some indications not, but for average individuals, should they be having something to eat right away afterwards? And does not matter for male or female? It doesn't matter. Um, as long as somebody eats a higher protein meal within a few hours within working out, they're fine. They don't need to go shovel down a protein shake or, you know, you know, run to Smoothie King or anything like that right away. Okay, cool. Uh, and average protein requirements do do you have i know everybody kind of varies a little bit on this but what what's um the you know, average amount of protein you think somebody should get in a day for the majority of people about 1.6 grams per kilogram body weight that's a good amount now i'll tweak that a little bit depending on their calories etc um but that's a good amount that the majority of people should shoot for okay one point uh, is there is there any any foods that you feel like uh, people really have a, a hard time consuming? I know like dairy always gets uh, get a bad rap, or maybe soy or some sort of high allergens. Is there is there any validity behind that, or what do you there's, think? There's really none. People, there's so many myths about dairy, and I've put a lot of them on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. There are some people that have a true dairy allergy. That's not that common. Lactose intolerance, and even if you have lactose intolerance, you can consume some dairy, milk being the hardest one, but like aged cheeses, a Parmesan or Parmesan or Reggiano, you can totally have that. It has virtually no lactose in it. Um, so there's a lot of misconceptions and sometimes it's not lactose intolerance. Sometimes it's actually, um, they can't, they don't digest the beta casein in milk very well. I'll have an upcoming post about this, but Soy, a lot of misconceptions. Soy does not decrease testosterone. You don't have to worry about it. Actually, soy is a great protein. Um, it's a complete protein. It has all amino acids for muscle health. And, you know, it's it can be used in so many different forms. Tempeh, tofu, edamame, etc. So, but there are a lot of misconceptions about wheat, soy, dairy. And I think foods that people can't tolerate, actually, it's... I, the first thing that comes to mind is something like liver, organ meats. People hmm. don't seem to care for the taste of those. Hmm. Not a fan. I can't do it. <laughs> we we were made to eat those as a as a kid when we were children. I don't. I haven't had them in such a long time, but they are dense in nutrients. Yeah, I will actually. Uh, when I was a teenager, my my uncle Joe. So what's up, Uncle Joe? If you're listening, um, he he's like. Um, you need to be taking desiccated liver tablets and that whatever. And I'm like, what the hell, man? And he's like, oh, when I was lifting, I was taking this. And, you know, he was convinced that this, this was the, the holy grail that helped him. And I had never seen it, nor, I mean, 
13 years old back in the day, internet was like the huge thing. Uh, but then all of a sudden I saw these like liver tablets just coming out. So I ordered some one just, just, to, just to see if I could try them in two. So I could send him a picture, but like, he's like, I was right all along. So, uh, you think people should be taking something like that because it's so nutrient dense. I don't know about the tablets, but I'm not opposed to people, you know, eating. In fact, I'm like, how did those taste? Did you have an after effect? Like when you consume them? I'm one of those guys where, I mean, I could take 30 pills at once and swallow them. Literally. I mean, I just like can take it down. Um, I, I don't take anywhere near that like the way I used to. Um, you know, it's not like, oh, I could pop this and pop that. And, and realized that when I was, you know, playing hockey in college, maybe, maybe what was slowing me down was the, the KFC and Dairy Queen right before um, practice. That was, that, was, yeah. that, was, that was probably it. Okay. Uh, one, one more question for you. Look at that. We are right on time. We're, I, I should host some things for a living. Yeah. So. <laughs> That'd be a good idea. Uh, where do, where do you feel like the, the future of nutrition is heading? And if you don't feel like it's heading somewhere, where do you hope it can head? I think it's heading to more personalized approach where people are interested in, you know, the higher end, like very interested person. They'll do more of the genetic testing. Hey, you know, should I have caffeine? Is caffeine detrimental? Um, what foods, you know, what nutrients do I need and how do I put those into my diet? I think the more personalized approach which is very tough to communicate to large masses because, you know, even when, like I always say with research studies, there are averages that we have to report, but then you look and you're like, oh, but there are people up here. There are people down here. There are people on both ends of the spectrum. So we're, there's a lot of interperson variability that we have to consider when it comes to nutrition, just like training. Yeah. Okay. Well, Marie, where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram. It's my name, Marie Smano. Uh, my website, Marie Smano, and I'm also on Twitter. Amazing. Well, I, I appreciate for being here and, and, and dealing with all my crazy questions. I'm Joey Thurman. This was another episode of the Fatter Future Podcast. Remember, don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y. Yes. You, you, are you processing that one, Marie? Don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> be, be a part of the future. Cheers. knew I picked Marie to be the final episode of the podcast of season three for a reason. Simple, digestible, right? Sometimes people just think nutrition is so hard and working out is so hard and sleep is so hard and we get too confused. Think about things simplistically. What good things can you add to your life and eventually the bad things will just go away. You get further away from them. And thanks to you, yes, you, I'm talking to you right now for listening to this podcast. I truly appreciate it. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss when season four comes out. Hopefully I will have finished and turned in my book by then to the publisher because they're on me. And follow me on social media at Joey Thurman Fit, my YouTube channel. Just type in Joey Thurman. You can type in Fat or Future Podcast. Subscribe there. I truly, truly appreciate it. Anybody who sends me messages, especially on Instagram at Joey Thurman Fit for another shameless plug, I do respond to you. I truly, truly care. Thank you so much for being a part of the Fat or Future community. And remember, don't be a fatty. F-A-D-D-Y. Be a part of the future. Cheers. <laughs>